got ourselves another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast and I'm pleased to be joined once again by Peter Harling. He's an editor for Dauber Prospects, he's the host of Dauber Prospects Radio and he's got a piece coming out talking caller candidates for McKean's. So Pete, how are you doing? Doing very well, thanks for having me back on. Absolutely, I'm excited. You tweeted out talking about Calder candidates and Calder candidates were recently in the betting sphere. People are talking about them. And I'm super intrigued by the betting potential for this. But for me, one of the interesting questions is how important do you think this trophy actually is just in terms of historical import? Well, it's the kind of trophy that you, you really should only get one crack at, right? Um it's like the one that eluded Wayne Gretzky that he could have won. Uh, I don't know where it ranks in comparison to some of the other trophies. I, you could argue that none of them besides the Stanley Cup really have a lot of weight behind them. But uh, I, as far as I'm concerned, the Calder Trophy is one that um, I put probably about a medium range value on. Right? It's, it's better than the Selkie. I'd rather win that. But you can look back at the history of the people who have won it. And they've had gone on to have great careers and some of them have gone on to have less than great careers. So winning the Calder trophy is, is not indicative of a future hall of famer. Uh, it doesn't guarantee you hall of fame consideration. And just because you're the best player in your rookie season, doesn't mean you're the best player from that season from a, a long-term sort of career point of view. Yeah, it's a snapshot in time from this very early on point in a player's career. And everything that happens after that rookie season is far more important. Like if we're talking about where you register in the Pantheon or Hall of Fame consideration, you've done a few of the redrafts with me and Calder Trophy, whether you were in on the voting or if you won it, for me, really, it was just a footnote when thinking about the value of this player's career. Now, maybe in a redraft, a player winning the Calder should be considered a little bit more because we know with the entry-level contracts and the way those work, you get those first three really cheap seasons, and then you should be able to lean on the player and get them to sign more favorable deals through their RFA years. So you get roughly seven years of player control. And if that first year is phenomenal then that is going to be great value for the team just in terms of drafting purposes and if we think about it in terms of just in historical importance you, you've talked about it doesn't guarantee you a hall of fame career but you mentioned that sometimes it does portend to a hall of fame career and for you what are what are the most iconic rookie seasons that you can think of uh, geez, uh, I think Team Solani's got to be top of the list, right? 70 
goals and throwing his glove in the air and Duck Hunt shooting it down. That was that was pretty incredible and iconic. Um, Absolutely. So that one, that Absolutely. one stands out by a country mile. In, in my lifetime, there's that and everyone else. Yeah, I mean, he was unanimous victor. And I don't know if that's happened since. He beats out Eric Lindros, who was the number one pick a whole season earlier, but then he sits out because he doesn't want to go to Quebec and he's a monster. I think he scores like 40 goals, 70 plus points, but that's not going to match up to Timu's 76 goals. And like you said, duck hunt shooting it and just, yeah, just phenomenal. And I, do you, would you consider that a modern NHL moment? Cause for me, the modern NHL, I don't think it quite stacks up. The modern NHL happens sometime after the New Jersey Devils tried to ruin hockey. Yeah, uh, I would say the the modern NHL era for me began after the lost season when the NHL came back with a salary cap and all the obstruction rules. The game really significantly looked different, both on and off the ice after that hiatus of a season. So Solani was was way before that. Yeah, well, and that's a coming out of the lockout. Funny you should mention that's another iconic rookie season, right? Ovechkin he goes first overall in 04, but then he doesn't get to have his rookie season. So then you've got Ovechkin and Crosby both coming in with yeah. all this hype. They had rivalries in the World Juniors and all this draft hype. Crosby's supposed to be the next Gretzky and they both pay it off coming out of the lockout with these dueling 100 point seasons and Ovechkin scores 50 goals. He gets the Calder and that's like the only time other than in that cup winning season where he bested Crosby. Yeah. I mean, and just, I'm looking at the list of Calder trophy winners here now and I'm like, nothing really extremely memorable jumps out off the page. I don't remember anyone besides that and the Solani having like incredible monumental historic seasons, maybe Mario. Um, but I mean, you've got some players on this list that that are in the hall of fame that, that won. And then you've got guys like Sergei Samsonov and um, Barrett Jackman and Andrew Raycroft that, that aren't, are not going to be considered for the hall of fame at any point no. in their lifetime. No. Um, I've got a few more that stood out to me as iconic. I remember these Calder Trophy seasons for positive reasons. So Malkin in 07, he went second to Ovechkin and he comes in with a bunch of hype and we had to wait a little bit, but it paid off. He scores 33 goals, 85 points and gets the Penguins are immediately in the playoffs and they haven't missed since. And we're like, oh, this is a problem. And we're even thinking like, oh, Malkin, like he, he's going to end up leaving Pittsburgh because he's going to need his own team. Like that's how good this guy is. And of course that never happens. The next year, Patrick Kane, he's this little wisp and he comes in and immediately puts the Blackhawks back on the map. And in a lot of ways, he puts USA hockey back on the map. It, it takes him a few years to, to do so, but he comes in alongside Jonathan Taves and and that's a really good class. And you just think about what a wisp he was. And then you think about Jack Hughes, similar build type of guy, also a number one pick and how horribly it went for him. And you just think about how horribly we all thought it would go for Patrick Kane. No one ever gets drafted number one overall 
at his height and weight and yet he did and then was immediately impactful yeah he's he's kind of the poster boy for um the small skilled players being able to not only make it to the nhl but exceed and i don't know how many times i've had uh, interviews with players and i asked them who their favorite player growing up was and so so many of them say patrick king it's quite phenomenal actually no question uh, a complete game changer and you think about what that, that draft class right the difference between getting the number one pick and the number two pick philadelphia was the worst team they lose the lottery chicago jumps up and the difference is patrick kane or jbr and it's it's stark and he was impactful immediately and you look back at the 90s and the history of number one picks not necessarily a lot of them had immediate impact we did the 97 redraft with joe thornton and he didn't look like he belonged at all in the nhl although how much of that was the bruins just complete mismanagement but either way that was a guy who who needed a couple of years before he turned into the MVP that he was. So having these immediate impacts from number one picks wasn't necessarily the going trend, but it becomes the trend in a big hurry, starting with Ovechkin and Crosby and Kane continues that mantle. I also thought that Panarin in 2016, we're coming off of another Blackhawks cup win. It's their third cup win. And then he shows up and we've got this phenomenal rookie class. We just had the tanking season with McDavid and Eichel going one, two, and Panarin comes in and you're like, Patrick Kane has a twin. What, what the hell is happening here? And so McDavid gets hurt and Panarin beats him out for the caller. I don't even think it was a bad decision. Like ultimately McDavid's going to have a better career, but Panarin has not only not only did he prove that he was the best rookie that season because of that injury and, and giving a full season of effective play, but he's also gone on to become an MVP candidate in his own right. And he's really paid off that decision in a way that some of these other ones like Raycroft haven't. Yeah. He was an outlier too, when he came in, right? Like he did not have the pedigree that first round overall picks have had that, that are all over this Calder trophy winning page I'm looking at. And he came in as a undrafted European free agent. Yeah. He's the only undrafted guy. I think you'll find winning the Calder trophy. Like there's not many who even get first place votes. There's a handful of other guys like Tori Krug who got first place votes as undrafted guys, but not too many of them. I think maybe go back to Ed Belfour. I'm not sure if he was drafted, but go back to, to that for the last guy who was drafted or undrafted and won the caller yeah you'd have to go back before like we were born um <laughs> to pick out some of these names of guys i've never heard of and maybe they weren't drafted right but who knows um yeah i mean panarin really paved the way and the impact on that in in fantasy circles too has been profound too where you have lots of teams looking at european or maybe even ncaa undrafted free agents and trying to find players who can step into their fantasy roster immediately and have an impact the way Panarin did. Um, so far, we're still waiting for another one. Mm -hmm. And the, the other one that stood out for me is Austin Matthews in 2017. So he makes team norm North America in the world cup. So we get all this buzz about him that way. And 
he starts the season with a legendary four goal opening night. Ends yeah. up having a did he win the Did he win the trophy season. that night? He might have. <laughs> First game, called a trophy, done. Yeah. And I mean, he, <laughs> he ends up beating out what is a pretty stacked rookie class. Like you go back and look at guys who got votes that year. Patrick Line was phenomenal. He scores 36 goals, pales in comparison to Matthews's 40 goals, but he was a phenomenal rookie as well. He was the number two pick right behind Matthews. Zach Wierenski is breaking in and he's immediately a hit. That was the year that Matt Murray took off and the Penguins end up winning. What is that? I think he had just won the cup and then he comes in and he officially is uh, a rookie that season and they win the cup again. And so he's in the mix. You've got Matthew Kachuk, Sebastian Ajo, Braden Point, like just a phenomenal class of rookies. And it, it all starts with, Team North America in this phenomenal World Cup, which I think if we can ever get back to normal, my goodness, they need to bring that thing back because it's it's done wonders for some of these players. Yeah, yeah, that was a fantastic tournament. And having the Young Stars team was 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 great. I think this is all part of the byproduct of since when uh, the NHL lost the 2005 season, um, the salary cap and, and the new rules really made the younger players on Vogue and, you know, that has been an effect that has been increasing and increasing and increasing over time. And you've got teams that are getting younger and younger and younger. I mean, before the lockout players would age out when they started getting North of 30, right. Pushing 40, you had guys playing in their forties, like Chelios and whatnot. That's just ridiculous to consider now. Like players are over the hill once they hit 30. Except for the exceptions like Yager and Chara. Yeah. Yeah. But those those are the outliers and they're very few and far between as opposed to every team's got two or three of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. You think about the lockout really ended a lot of careers for guys like that. And a few were able to continue and hang on and it actually extended Solane's career, which is... Um, a strange synchronicity, I guess, coincidence yeah. that he's both on here as this phenomenal rookie and then injuries catch up to him and take away what, what made him so fantastic at that point. But then he gets to have this whole second act in, in any case. Yeah. I think that the changes that they made, it almost took an extra era for the talent to catch up. And now we're starting to see uh, it, it really blossoming. Yeah. And each year, I think the, the Calder, race gets a little bit uh thicker and predicting the candidates for it the list gets longer and longer every year because young players are given more opportunity to make the team and you know more opportunity to make an impact in the first year long gone are the days where the rookie first overall pick has got to earn his roster spot over established veterans you know you got a season of paying your dues that's like done, man. If you can come in and steal that job on the first day of camp, it's yours. And it's not just the first overall picks. So a lot of it yeah. is second, third, fourth. All these guys are, are coming in and making the roster right away. The teams almost want them to come and, and play right away. And one of the things that I, I looked at, just, just thinking in terms of um, historical perspective, going through what has happened and one of the most surefire ways to get yourself into Calder contention is to be a top pick 
and then wait a season or two before actually breaking into the league. You think about what happened with Ovechkin and Malkin and guys like that. It's you get, you end up having votes if you wait a couple of years after your draft class and then come into the league. That's a very surefire way to have yourself get votes. You think even in the Patrick Kane year, Taves comes in and he gets first place votes and Nick Backstrom does as well. And both of those guys were top five picks from the previous season. So having that extra season to develop really can give you an advantage because players are already so ready to make that leap and you get an extra year of development. There's you, you can really come in and pop. Yeah, that was certainly a, <clears throat> a factor that came into heavily into play in my selecting candidates and then ranking them in the top 10. I mean, I've got a list of about 35 players um, and the players who I gave stronger consideration to are guys that I am more confident I will either be in the NHL because they've aged out of junior or they signed a pro contract out of the NCAA. So they're turning pro for sure. Um, or they're a few years older. So they have a little bit more experience. They've perhaps already had a season or, or more of pro hockey in another league under their belt. And that should give them uh, that should give them an, an advantage, I think. Absolutely. One of the places that we see it most is with goalies. Like you look at the trend of who ends up getting votes. And for the most part, you're talking about forwards who were drafted in the top 15 or so, like basically lottery level type forwards. They're roughly about 20 years old. They're a year or two removed from their draft class. Those guys get a ton of votes. You get the odd defenseman who similar boat, but development times are different for those players. So it's, it's a little bit all over the map and the goalies, you just, you just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Cause you get no idea when these guys are going to come along, but when they do, it's almost, if they're getting enough games to qualify for caller consideration, then it's cause they're doing quite well. And so they're almost immediately getting first place votes because they go on this tear and it's, it's so rare. Like you end up with the, the Steve Mason type uh, Calder trophy winner, or like you mentioned before, Andrew Raycroft. And it, it seems like there's one of these guys every single season and you, you can be as old as 26 and, and take a run at it. Yeah. Of my list of 30 plus guys, I only have two goalies on the list and they're both inside the top five. No kidding. So Earlier this week, Bodog slash Bovada, depending on whether you're in the U.S. or Canada or overseas or whomever you're you're betting with, it there's not many lines out there for for hockey futures right now, and and but they put out a line on the Calder Trophy, and they've since taken it down, which I, I wonder if it isn't reflective of the fact that there's some concern about whether the NHL season is actually going to go off or not. And so they just, they, they took down, you can't bet on this anymore. And I, I wish I would have jumped on it because you mentioned the goalies and number one on their list is Igor Shesterkin. He's a plus 175 favorite. So you bet a hundred and you win 175. Like he is a stark favorite on the list, but uh, the other guy on your list, I'm assuming is uh, fellow Russian and fellow New York starting goaltender Ilya Sorokin he was 25 to 1 which just 
staggering difference. So I would have loved to get some money down on Sorokin. And if these lines come back out, I'm almost certainly going to get money down on him just because starting goaltender, you never know what's going to happen, but I, I probably want to back the guy who's playing for a Barry Trot system, even if he's got a little bit more competition in Semyon Varlamov to beat out. Yeah, those are, those are for sure the, the two guys. Um, and why they made the list is because I feel pretty reassured that they're going to be on the NHL roster. So looking at the Rangers and Shesterkin, they bought out Henrik Lundqvist and let him go. And they're going to go with uh, Shesterkin and Georgiev. And Georgiev, we already know what he is. I think he's a, he's a good, solid backup, maybe a, in a worst-case scenario, like a, a split starting goalie. Um, I don't think he's got franchise Hall of Fame upside on his pedigree, whereas I think Sturkin totally does. Um, his resume coming from the KHL is, is exemplary, and his performance in North... He's already got a year under his belt in North America playing in the AHL, um, and then proving himself there, coming up into the NHL and taking over the starting position in, in sh- pretty short order and being the Rangers starting goalie in the playoffs. So I don't think there's much question that he's going to, at the very minimum, be in a splitting situation with Georgiev to start the season. Um, but if I had to bet on it, I, I would say he gets the lion's share of the starts pretty much as many as, as he wants kind of thing um, until he's, his play proves that he's not worthy of it. But I don't see that being the case at all. I think he's going to take the ball and just run with it. Yeah, my only concern with Shesterkin, he got, what, 12 regular season games under his belt and then a handful in the bubble. And is that enough tape that NHL teams will have scouted him and and found some of the weaknesses? Or does he even have any weaknesses to exploit? And we know that that Rangers team is an absolute gong show defensively. So there's going to be tons of rubber flying his way. And as much as he can handle, we'll, we'll see how he holds up. But he went, what, like 10 and 2 in the regular season with just obscene save yeah. percentage numbers. And I wonder if that can hold up over a larger sample size, especially if teams have scouted him out and seen some of those tendencies. Because a lot of times these goalies will have these fantastic surges when they immediately make the league and then teams spend some time scouting them out and some patterns emerge and suddenly they're they're falling behind right there's this cat and mouse game that happens with offense with shooters versus goaltenders and when shooters eventually figure out the goaltenders that it starts tilting that way and then the goaltender has to respond so a lot of times you'll see these phenomenal rookie seasons they're never followed up they, they almost always take a dip backwards and then they have to build upon it after that fact. Yeah, it's easier for an entire league to get a book on one goaltender than it is for one goaltender to get a book on an entire league worth of shooters. Um, so that stands to reason that there'll be a bit of ebb and flow and, and adaptation throughout the course of, of his career, especially early on. Like you say, he comes in, comes in hot and seems unbeatable. And then, you know, some teams will break him down um find out you know maybe he's weak here or there and and exploit that and then it's up to him to adjust and adapt to that and correct that deficiency and then people keep shooting at it and it's just not there anymore um 
so he's, he's you know it's not like he's coming in here as uh can't teach an old dog new tricks 30 year old import from russia he's still like 20 22 i think he's quite young um so i have a lot of confidence that um he'll be a, a franchise goalie for the rangers starting immediately he certainly looks that way it's one of the reasons to be among many to be very high on this team right you look at they've got a norris caliber defenseman in adam fox at least i think that he's trending that way and they've got a first line caliber center in mika zibanejad and some people might push him higher and they've got a franchise level forward in artemi panarin on the wing and they've got potentially another one coming in Alexi Lafreniere. So there's a lot to like about what the Rangers have going on. And they've got a deeper farm system than that. But those are kind of the, the highlight tombstone things that you look at. You're like, okay, they've got pillars at, at every level of the franchise. So there is a juggernaut potentially brewing here. And Lafreniere, he's number two in the betting market. Uh, plus 375 to win the Calder. And you would have to think that he is going to generate a ton of buzz. I mean, one, this is voted on by the media. So the fact that he's already a bit of a media darling helps his cause a lot. Like he's going to have to go out and produce the points. But the fact that he's already in the zeitgeist We've seen him at multiple world juniors. He's been on these big stages. He's destroyed big stages. All those facts and the fact that he's old for a rookie coming out of his draft year and the fact that this season's getting pushed further and further is just aging him more and more and allowing him to get more and more mature coming into this rookie season. I think all of that plays into his wheelhouse and the fact that the Rangers are this wide open offensive team is going to play into his case even further because maybe they're not going to be asking him to do so much defensively they're just going to say hey go out and, and pour on as much offense as you want Alexi we're uh we're just worried about trying to outscore the other team not how we do it yeah there's his position to win a Calder trophy is is a pretty sound one. I mean, he's coming off back-to-back CHL Player of the Year awards, the first player to do it since uh, Crosby did. Um, he's got all the age factors that you just mentioned working to his advantage. He's coming on to a Rangers team that's very good, but not stacked, right? Like, it's not going to be too difficult for him to win a top six roster position. Um, but that's not to say that the Rangers top six is, is weak. So he'll have plenty of supporting cast. He could play on the second line and the other team will focus in on Panarin, perhaps giving him, you know, secondary um, checking opportunity or opponents to play against. So a better quality of, of competition for him with quality of ice time. And um, you know, if, if you said to me, I'll, I'll give you either the Calder trophy goes to someone from the Rangers or any other team. I'd take the Rangers over the field. Wow, that's that's pretty staggering, but that does express to you why these guys are the top two betting favorites. Just for me, it seems like 
so often the the person who ends up winning it or or finishing second comes out of left field like Bodog's odds they only put 10 players on the list and the, your list goes 35 deep so there's a whole bunch of candidates that they probably should have put on there that they didn't and running down the list next up is Kirill Kaprizov plus 400 coming over he's we've been anticipating this guy for what seems like forever when was when did he star at the world juniors what was that four or five years ago it feels like it's been a very long wait for us and and minnesota wild fans yeah he's 23 years old already and he's actually he just barely edges out lafreniere as my my top ranked player um, but between Lafreniere and Chesterkin, I think the chances of either one of those guys winning the Carlo Trophy um, outweighs Kaprizov. Um, but I mean, he's just dominated at every level he's played at before, be it World Juniors, World Championships, Olympics. He's a superstar from the KHL. Everywhere he's ever played against any, you know, the elite of his of his age peer or at a professional league and short tournaments against NHL players, he's just been fantastic. So when you ask yourself, okay, so what is he going to come over this Russian player? Is he coming over? Is he going to be like Artemi Panarin was when he came over and hit the ground running and just light it up right away? Uh, is he going to be like Madam Shibashov and not even make the roster and flame out hard? Or is he somewhere in between like Nikita Gusev um, makes the team has flashes of, of, pretty good impressiveness mixed with long stretches of invisibility. Uh, if I had to pick one of the three, I'd probably say I'd lean harder towards the Panarin upside. Um, what is his situation going into Minnesota? It's not as good as Lafreniere's. He doesn't have the supporting cast necessarily, but if everything breaks well for him, uh, he'll be joined by another Calder candidate and Marco Rossi. And Kevin Fiala will continue to develop and establish himself as a bona fide NHL star. And I think the three of them in combination in a perfect storm could all propel themselves to that level. Um, but it all has to be like a perfect storm. So there's a lot of if there. Yeah, the, the problem for me just comes into the realization that there's still just enough veteran talent lingering on that wild team. And the fact that the wild are just they're they're still stuck on running two defensemen on their power play so there's going to be less opportunities for forwards and less opportunities for optimum deployment and stuff like that so i don't think like it's it sure feels to me like one of fiala and kaprizov is going to get pushed off the top power play unit for zach parise and it's just going to end up in this wacky situation where it's going to be really, really tough to produce at that Panarin type level where basically he and Patrick Kane were just playing pitch and catch on the Chicago Blackhawks power play unit going through the Royal Road. And we have these visions of Kaprizov and Fiala doing something similar in Minnesota, and it's not going to exist because they're going to be teeing up Matt Dumba for one-timers from the half wall. And that's, that's not the ideal way to do things. Yeah. The supporting cast in Minnesota isn't as promising, um, but I wouldn't worry about Zach Parise taking too much ice time away from, 
from him. He'll have a back injury or, or something. Or Hey, don't you put that evil on Zach Parise. The fact that he has emerged <laughs> from all the injuries that he suffered and is still this amazingly effective player from this, like this guy, he was an MVP candidate at one point and he's continuing to, to linger and be effective. I'm, I'm thoroughly impressed with what Zach Parise is doing. And, you know, we talked about small guys being inspirations for players. Well, Parise is a different type of small guy from a Patrick Kane, but he's also an impressive type of small guy. And I just, I got nothing but love for him unless he's playing for the Americans in the Olympics. So. Okay. Well, why do I get the feeling that you're going to try and, and then now offer him to me in a fantasy trade? Well, I would, I would never do such a thing, but uh, if I would, if I was selling him to you in a fantasy trade, that's certainly how I would start it. It would sound just like that. <laughs> All right. So that's my top four list. Kaprasov, Lafreniere, Shesterkin, and Sorokin. And there's a, a stark drop-off after that. Well, and we also see a stark drop-off after those guys in the betting market. So they are, number four on their list is Grigory Denisenko, and you can get him at 10 to 1, or you could have. He did not make my top 10. Nor do I think he should have. He's not necessarily a guarantee to make the Panthers, and I don't even think he's necessarily the best Calder candidate on that team. Agreed. Um, I think that there's a top six, there's like a plum job available on Florida because they've let Dadanov go. And as of the day that we're recording this, which is November 20th-ish, they haven't signed Mike Hoffman yet either. He's still a free agent. So they've got that top six role and they haven't really filled it with a legitimate top six forward externally. So that's going to come from within. And the two candidates that are jumping out the most to me are uh, Denisenko and Owen Tippett. And based on Owen Tippett's performance in the AHL last year, where he put up, you know, 40 points in 46 games, um, I'd give the edge to him. Well, and he's just primed to sit on the opposite half wall and get teed up for one-timers from Barkov and Huberto. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a wicked... A wicked good shot, um, and he's surprisingly fast. Um, if he learned how to apply that size that he has and his skating ability into some sort of back-checking capacity as a professional player, then he'll be in the NHL next year. There should be odds for him, and as of this moment, there aren't. So that's that's one guy who, who stands out. Is there anyone else who, do you have the betting odds up, who isn't on that list, who stands out in your top 10? You, you mentioned that you've got someone in your top five, but there's kind of a drop off. So that, that five to 10 range, who else kind of stands out for you? I'm not looking at, at the odds, no, but the next like couple guys on my list, um, I have Marco Rossi at five. Which is a bit of a, a bit of a gamble because there's no guarantee that he's going to make the wild right like but if he does i think it'll be as their first line center and we kind of covered off that perfect storm scenario where he'd be playing with kaprizov and fiala so if that all breaks for him then you know i think he'll be on the short list of ballots um another player a couple players well, hold, hold on pete hold on pete because yeah you're talk, talking marco rossi and this is 
one of my absolute favorites from this draft class. I do think he's going to be their number one center because the other options are like Nick Benino and I, I don't know, players playing out of position. They, they don't have a whole lot there. They've, they've made some moves. Marcus Johansson's getting thrown around and uh, I don't necessarily know if he's even going to end up playing center. They've got, uh, yeah, they've got some deficiencies and we talked about loving Parise as this undersized guy. Well, another undersized guy, Marco Rossi, who is the heir apparent to Martin St. Louis staggering leg day game. And yeah, he's got tree trunks. Yeah, and I, I think that, uh, again, another player who's older for this draft class, he destroyed the CHL. I think he's playing or practicing overseas right now. In any case, I think that he's got a tremendous chance. I think he's holding out hope to make the leap to the NHL. And frankly, I don't think there's any reason that he should have fallen to the wild at number nine, but suddenly he fills this tremendous positional need and someone's going to have to play center on their top power play unit. And I've got a bet with Michael Clifford from, from Dauber Hockey that he's going to be that guy. I think Cliffy's betting on Nick Benino, and we'll see what ends up shaking out. But I think Marco Rossi is by far the best centerman that they have. And I think he's NHL ready. And I think he stands to be put in a, as good, if not better position than Kaprizov to put up an obscene number of points. Yeah, uh, he is playing right now in Switzerland. I think he's got one game so far and one assist in that game. That's all. Um, so he'll have a little bit of time before KHL starts, if it does, to uh, to hit the ground running when the season when the season starts. Come into training camp hot, you know. Um, he's he's not swiss i think he's danish so i don't he's think austrian they, austrian that's what it is and i i'm pretty confident that austria didn't qualify for pool a for the world juniors so again he'll be probably passing on playing in the world juniors like he did last year um which is too bad because that would give him a really nice headway into the season too where the you know World Juniors starts on Christmas and, and ends in early January and the NHL season is planning on starting in early January. So that would be a really nice warm up for him to come in really hot into the NHL season. Uh, and probably with a lot of confidence too, after being a dominant player at that tournament, but I don't think he's going to be able to play in that. So he'll just have to suffice with his play in Switzerland. Uh, so he, I mean, he's done with junior, right? Like there's no way he's going to play in the CHL again. So he's, he's a pro player now. So it's either with Minnesota or maybe in the AHL, but I mean, that's a gate driven league too. So it's going to be really hard for the AHL to, to make a go of it. Um, so I, I'm leaning towards, I think he's going to make it. I think he's going to be their first line center. And because of that, and because of like all that we said already, Kaprizov and Kevin Fiala, I think he's going to get primetime minutes. And from what I've seen from him playing with the Ottawa 67s, uh, I don't see any reason why his success can't translate at the NHL level. I mean, I'm the first game I went and saw him live at last year, I'm watching him and I'm watching him and I'm really super impressed. I'm like, wow, this guy is just a really strong influence on the game. And he hadn't even touched the puck yet. And then he got the puck and I was just like, oh, 
sit back and watch the show. This guy's just dominating the play. And the way that he uses his, his, his skating, and you can see how he's anticipating plays, intercepting passes, working the cycle game like a pro, um, all with or without the puck, and just really controlling and directing the play. I mean, sure, it's against OHL players, which is not going to be the same as the NHL. And there will be an adjustment period for him to, to make those corrections in his game. But I think he can do the same thing at the NHL level in time. And I think the wait period on that is, is starts when the puck drops on the season. Yeah. I think he's immediately going to be an impact player, not only because of situation, but just in terms of NHL readiness, being older, getting these pro games. And again, this delayed start, just it benefits every single rookie who's coming in because they're just going to be that much more mature. When the NHL season's over, I think people are going to look at his stat line and then scratch their head going, and he went ninth overall? Who went before him? Yeah, there's there's going to be some teams. And, and it, again, we talked about it off the hop. This is just a snapshot in time. But you think about when a player comes in that early and has that immediate of an impact, it usually only goes up from there. Right. Like Owen Tippett is in my top 10 on this list. And, oh, I think he could be a legitimate Calder candidate. And I don't think he's going to win it, but I think he could be a finalist or at least on the short list of of honorable mentions. But I don't think he's going to have a Hall of Fame career. Right. I don't think he's going to be a franchise player. I think Marco Rossi can be a franchise player for the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, you're right. It, It was foolish for the Ottawa Senators to miss out on a talent like that. Oh, I'm looking at you, Buffalo. I'm looking at you, Buffalo. Well, yeah, them too. But like, let's get real. Yeah. We could start at number three and then just start getting teams from there on. That's how I I feel about Rossi. But (laughs) I may be wrong. Who else was was sitting in your top 10 that is is intriguing other than Rossi? Uh, So three more forwards and, uh, and only one defenseman cracked my top 10. And it might not be who you think. Um, so Barrett Hayton from Arizona Coyotes. Uh, I've, I like that he's a little bit more experienced than some of the other guys. You know, he's got some NHL games under his belt. He went back down um, mid-season last year to the World Juniors to dominated with Team Canada. It was a real impact player there. And, you know, he came in from situation in Arizona where I think he was struggling with his confidence and his ability to make the team. And then in a short amount of time, like a period and a half of watching him play for Canada, all of a sudden it was like, there's the Barrett Hayton that got him picked in the first round of the draft by Arizona Coyotes. And I think he's gonna, I think he's going to come out hot when the season starts for the Coyotes. Um, another well, the guy, Coyote, the Coyotes are a team that, you're kind of, where's the offense coming from? And so potentially, but I mean, what I mean is that he could, he could potentially end up getting this phenomenal opportunity because you're like, Nick Schmaltz, he could beat him out. Christian Dvorak, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But then he's got good options on his roster two of the guys that are established scores like um phil kessel and clayton keller so it's not like 
he doesn't have someone to pass to or he's devoid of options. So we'll, we'll see what happens there, but uh, Nick Schmaltz as well. Connor Garland is on the, on the I like, rise. I like Connor Garland. That's they've, they've got some offensive talent on the wings and they have less offensive talent at center is kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. Who's his competition at center after Derek Stepan, Christian Dvorak and, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah. So they've got a lot of like, I would say B players, but no real A's. So if he can find some, some really wicked good chemistry with one of those wingers, then, you know, that could be uh, that could be scary. Good for him. Are you saying that they should be called the Arizona coyotes? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, another forward on the list uh, is Gabe Velarde. And I think he's maybe a slightly forgotten prospect, but he's a highly, highly, highly touted prospect when he was coming up in the draft and his back injury cost him an entire season plus like he missed all of the 18 19 season and wasn't ready to go at the start of the the 1920 season um and then he started off last season midway through the season uh, in the ahl getting himself back into shape and then finished in the nhl really strong uh, he played his last 10 games in the NHL before the season uh, hit the breaks. And he had about, uh, I think it was like seven, seven points in 10 games or something to that effect. Um, so I think he's arrived. Now, here's, here's, here's the rub, though. Los Angeles' Anthony Kopitar is the number one center. And the competition for number two after that is going to be pretty thick. They just drafted Quinton Byfield, who didn't make my list. Um, they've got Gabe Velarde, who I just talked about in the top 10. And then they've also got, um, Alex uh, Turcott. Turcott. That's the one. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a really nice problem to have. How do you find ice time for these four guys who are all top two centers? Well, I love that you brought up the LA Kings situation because Bodog, they had no odds on Gabe Velarde, who you had the highest on that list. And then Bodog had both Turcotte and Byfield as five and six on their list in terms of odds. Byfield at 12 to one and Turcotte at 14 to one. And to me, I think far more likely that Velarde makes the team and makes an impact. I, I, I doubt that we see much of Turcotte in the NHL this season. And the OHL is not going to play, so Byfield's got nowhere to go after the World Juniors. But I would love to see him sit that extra season and then he come in as that number two pick who sat a season and has this extra time to develop, especially as one of the youngest players in the draft. And then you've got this monster on your hands and he would be by far my betting favorite for the following season's Calder Trophy, if that were to happen. Whereas if he made the leap this season, I think there would be kind of some fits and starts and it wouldn't be nearly as lucrative. Like I, I wouldn't want to bet on him at 12 to one this season, but I would love to bet on him at 12 to one for the following season. Right. I think if Byfield makes the NHL this year, it'll be uh, reminiscent of Joe Thornton's rookie season. I don't think it'll be that bad because it probably won't involve 
the type of mismanagement where he's only getting five minutes a game and he's sitting in the press box. But I do think that if he made the NHL, it might be because the OHL's not playing and he's got nowhere else to go. So the Kings are like, well, he's got nowhere else to go. So we'll get him pro experience here and he'll play like once every three games. And then he sits in the press box and he gets a ton of practice time. And I think that may be how they approach it. I'm not really sure, but that's that's kind of the way that I would see things play out. So if that's what you meant by a Joe Thornton type rookie season, then yeah, I'm I'm on board with that. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, in an ideal scenario, the world would be carrying on like normal. And if that were the case, the way I would manage Byfield personally, if I were Los Angeles, is I'd, I'd let him play an entire full season in the OHL. I would have brought him in for rookie camp and training camp, let him play in some NHL exhibition games, and then returned him for the start of the CHL season and let him dominate at that level, dominate at the World Juniors, hopefully, and then have so much confidence that you know he felt like he absolutely belongs in the NHL. I doubt he has that that frame of mind today. I, I, he's never had an NHL practice, right? So um, I think it's just a lot of, of uncertainty for, for him personally in his mind would be my guess. Um, but he hasn't dominated at, at any level yet. He's been very good in the OHL and he dominated for Sudbury, but he hasn't dominated the league. He's just this super raw talent package with tremendous upside, um, but it really needs to be refined. And I think, you know, the NHL is not a developmental league. It's just not. And if he made the NHL in a, in a normal world right now, I think, I think that would be a, an egregious um, misuse of his, of his development. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you. And we'll see, there's lots of word out that he put on 10 pounds of muscle over the summer. That's never always how it works but there's some percentage of it is muscle and, and either way he's he's rounding into the form of, of this power forward that he's eventually going to become so we'll see how delayed this NHL season is and if that doesn't make him more NHL ready physically but I think that the the physical part isn't necessarily what people are concerned about it's uh it's everything else like you talked about with the confidence but um who's the defenseman that's sitting in your top 10 is it Alexander Romanov sure isn't okay well that was my that was my guess there was no odds on Romanov on on Bodog by the way there are a couple of defensemen on there but uh but who's on your list so defensemen don't have a really good track record of, of winning this, this trophy, right? Like Aaron Ekblad, dominated the last season, this, last, this last season, season, but sure. Is. That was the outlier before that it was Aaron Ekblad. And before that it was like Jack Johnson or then someone else, right? Like just Brian Berard, Brian Berard. There you go. Uh, Barrett Jackman might've been in there. Like whoop yeah. do you he won by default. Cause no one else was any good that season. So it's difficult for defensemen to win this trophy because, you know, coaches don't like to give a lot of prime minutes to 19 year old defensemen because they make mistakes and coaches don't have a long career <laughs> before them. They're, they're hired to be fired. So they don't like giving primetime minutes to young defensemen and to win the trophy as a defenseman, you've got to not only be you know good in your own zone, but you got to put up points as well. So 
the guy I like is a player that has a lot of experience playing pro hockey already. And you've probably figured out who that is now. I still haven't. Okay. I'm clueless. He's also coming into a situation where I think he's going to be playing on a team that is going to have an opening in their top four defense. And while he won't be the default first power play guy, he should be able to clean up the seconds and it's a pretty good offensive team. So I'm talking about Miko Lettinen of the Toronto Maple Leafs and this will make my dad happy from her. Oh no, we no, no. Does Lettinen even qualify? Isn't he too old for this? No, no, he's, uh, he's 20 something. Yeah, you, the, isn't the cutoff 26 years old? Oh, he might just be he might just be a little bit too old. Yeah. Well, if he is, then I'll have to amend my article. But I like his chances of coming in because I think he's going to be a top four fixture on the Leafs. And uh, I think, you know, he's be able, he can be able to provide some offense as well because the Leafs are a highly offensive team. And he led the KHL in defense scoring last year. He's playing in the KHL to start right now. So he's going to come in uh, very hot. He's got 17 points in 17 games already. So Well, and he, j- he just voided his contract to come over and start – transitioning so i guess there's there's maybe some optimism from his side of things that the season's going to be getting started sooner rather than later so i think he's coming over to to get in his uh his quarantine time and then um transition to getting ready for leafs camp whenever that happens to be now when you say top four defenseman do you mean like top four in sitting in the press box You are just not a fan of Miko Lettinen, huh? No, I'm sure he's going to be fine, but I find it really hard to believe that he's going to put up the kind of points that people are anticipating of him. That's, I don't know, for as not fantastic as the Leafs defense group is, there's still kind of a logjam. Right, well, it's Morgan Riley with a bullet at number one, right? And then after that, let's see. So TJ Brody has been in decline for a number of years in Calgary. And I think he is going to take over the, the, the president mantle of wearing the goat horns in Toronto. I think mm-hmm. Leaf fans are going to torch him the likes we haven't seen since Larry Murphy or Dion Phaneuf, right? I, I, I just think Toronto is going to destroy whatever confidence he has left. Jake Muzzin is a very good defenseman and he'll play lots of minutes, but he doesn't have a lot of offensive upside, right? Uh, Justin Hall, I think he's on the roster by default. Travis Dermott is a player that I really like. I think he's on the rise. Zach Bogosian is a bottom pairing defenseman who brings some physicality. So unless like Rasmus Sandin just flat out outplays him, which is a distinct possibility, or Timothy Liljegren, who less less confident about that. But I think the top four role is is there for him. And I, you know, he has never played an NHL game, so there's that playing in the KHL is a lot different than the NHL, but I think Toronto has the expectation that he's going to be a top four defenseman for them. And then he's going to see some time on the power play, probably the second power play unit. He'll go with four forwards and and Morgan Riley on number one. Yeah, maybe we'll see. Certainly there is a lot of offensive talent there. We'll see how it translates, but I think that situation is is a huge part of it. And if he's not getting those top power play minutes, then he's almost capped out at 40 points by default. And it'd probably be less than that. Yeah, which which is why he's the only defenseman to crack my top 10. 
And there's a number, a number of other defensemen who are on my short list. Um, not as much guarantee that that they're going to make the NHL as I think Lettinen has. It, for sure. Yeah, you're right there because Bodog, they do have a couple of defensemen on their list. Bowen Byram at 15 to one and Evan Bouchard at 18 to one. And I wouldn't really want to bet on either of those because the Colorado Avalanche went out of their way to kind of block Byram's path to making the NHL with the Devon Taves trade. And the Oilers kind of similarly did so with the Tyson Berry pickup. And even if Bouchard were to make the NHL, I don't know that he would be guaranteed the minutes as well as he's doing over in Sweden and as well as he adapted to the AHL last season after kind of struggling in his, his rookie season, he's probably NHL ready. He's trending towards being a, a phenom. And whenever he does end up on the top power play unit for the Oilers, there's, there's sparks are going to fly, but it's not guaranteed to be this season. No. Well, Tyson Berry only has a one-year contract, right? So I think he's got, it's his job to lose Tyson Berry's. If he falters at all, I think the, Oilers will be just looking at any any opportunity to say okay this we're we're long-term committed to Evan Bouchard so let's let's see what that looks like right now Mm -hmm. right so um it's not out of the realm of possibility that Tyson Berry struggles a little bit at some point right out of the gate or a little bit later on or has an injury and then page Evan Bouchard and he just never looks back that that would be the dream but we'll see Yeah, Bowen Byram has he he need a a miracle of things to break to make enough ice time for him to win the Calder Trophy. I mean, he's probably got much better upside than a lot of the other players on my defense list, but his opportunity immediately this season, I just don't like it. Yeah, he's he's stuck behind a logjam on a stack team with cup aspirations. And he still has WHL options, I believe. So, and the WHL might actually play. So there's a chance that he's in junior and you've wasted your money on him if you were to throw down yeah. for him at 15 to one. There far better candidates before yeah. I, would, I would bet on him at 15 to one. Yeah, uh, some of the other defensemen to make my list. Uh, Romanov was one player I considered. Um, I think he's... I think he's got better NHL value than fantasy value. And the Montreal Canadiens went out and signed Joel Edmondson that will take away some of his ice time and opportunity. And will it though? Maybe, yeah, well, <laughs> the contract says so. We'll, we'll, we'll see. That didn't work out for Carl Alsner in his contract though. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Montreal fans, I think I think he's overhyped. They, they, they got a taste of him at the World Juniors with Russia when he played there and put up 14 points in 14 games, was a physical menace and just a dominant force for the Russian defense at the World Juniors, picking up a silver and a bronze medal along the way. Uh, he's just not that offensive of a player. I mean, he's very good, and he'll be great defensively, and he'll the fans will still love him because he'll be very physical, and he'll knock some guys on their ass, but... Uh, I don't think he'd be able to score enough to win either a Calder or a Norris trophy throughout his career. He'll just be yeah, very good. He would need the Barrett Jackman situation 
and <laughs> there's way too many good candidates yeah who are gonna put up numbers Henrik Zetterberg finished second for the Calder in the Barrett Jackman season and he put up 20 goals and 44 points and ends up being a borderline hall of famer when it all shook out but just didn't get the opportunity to put up points because he was coming in on a stacked cup contender in mm -hmm. Detroit and so he's playing like third line minutes so there's players that are going to get far better opportunities and put up far more points and so this is not a pre-lockout league where guys have to do their time and and not get those opportunities so I I don't foresee another Barrett Jackman yeah, that kind of sounds a little bit similar um, to the situation that that Jake Bean is in in Carolina. I mean, he's a different kind of player. He's a he's a all offense kind of defenseman, and he just came off a season where he was the uh, he's the Eddie Shore Award for the AHL Defenseman of the Year. Um, and if he were in a situation where there was a top four position available for him in Carolina, I think he'd step into it and and be lights out good, but. Um, the situation in Carolina is, is not indicative of that. Well, the, the case for him would be Jake Gardner continues to struggle and Dougie Hamilton gets hurt again and suddenly there's room for him and he probably ends up getting those top power play deployments because that's how you would want to use a guy like that. Yeah, I mean, the Jake Gardner decline seems more probable than possible. Um Dougie Hamilton getting injured. Um, he doesn't have a history of, of injury tendencies and the, the leg injury that he had last season seemed more like a, a freak accident than anything. He just fell on it the wrong way. It, you know, it wasn't like he has his third concussion in, in one year or anything like that. So uh, I don't foresee Hamilton having injury problems going forward. So you've got Jacob Slavin, Brady Shea, Brett Pache, Hayden Fleury, Joey Keane is another prospect that can even compete with him for, for rookie ice time. But I mean, Bean's just got nothing left to prove at the AHL level, even if the AHL exists this season. I mean, what's he going to do there? He's already done it all. He no, can't no, any, yeah. He can't get he's, any better playing there. He's ready to contribute. It's just a question of whether there's going to be the opportunity to put up the points that you require to win an award like this. And yeah. right now the opportunity isn't there, but were there odds on him? I'm assuming they would be far higher than Ilya Sorokin's 25 to one. So yeah. wouldn't mind sprinkling a little bit on that if and when uh, betting for this award opens up again. A better Another, bet might, might be ahead. Scott Perunovic. Yeah, I can't get there. Now you're not feeling Perunovic, huh? Well, so here's the thing. He's also got a few guys in his way and doesn't necessarily have as much pro experience as Bean does. So he may yet have something to prove at that level. And again, whether or not they actually play, but they just brought in Tory Krug for a massive amount. They're paying Justin Falk a massive amount and yeah. they may yet bring Vince Dunn back. So that's three options who could get that top deployment for them. And oh, by the way, Vladimir Tarasenko is, he put his shoulder out again. So he may never be the sniper that he once was. So those top power play minutes may not be as valuable as they have been. 
That's unfortunate. You hate seeing players in their prime that are star players get injuries just derailing their their career. Um, you neglected Colton Pareko as well, so there's another roster blocker for for Perunovic to overcome as well. But you know, all that being said, um, I think he, outside of Tory Crew, I think he could be the best offensive defenseman they have. You may well be right. Certainly, had they not signed Tory Krug, there would be a, a much finer case for him. Right, and the way that defense is being played in the NHL is 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 the way that Perunovic likes to play, and that's to his advantage over guys like Bertuzzo, Pareko, Falk. You know, he's just as much better skating and transitional defenseman. So uh, it might be difficult for him to corral the, the ice time and the minutes that he needs right away. Um, but I'm saying there's a chance. Yeah, absolutely. Again, a, a guy, if there were long shot odds for him, I, I would certainly like to bet on that. Um, the, the other guy that we haven't talked about yet from the, the 10 that made Bodog's list is Tim Stutzla. He came in at 18 to one and I want no part of that. Didn't make my list. Yeah. Yeah, there's I, opportunity in Ottawa, but I don't even know if he's going to make the league, let alone make an impact. Feels a little bit like Jack Hughes in New Jersey. What where's what would be the, the advantage for Ottawa to force him into the, to the roster now? Other than he's ready to dominate the NHL at a superstar level, which... I'm not convinced that he is. He's got a entry level contract, so they don't have to pay him that much. The cap's not an issue for the sense. No, Meaning the I, salary I, cap floor is a, is a is a is a bigger problem for them than than coming in under the cap. Right, but there's just not that much actual cash that they have to pay, which is always a consideration. Ottawa's been slow cooking their prospects. They did a really good job of managing them in my opinion last season with Belleville being just, you know, a couple hour drive down the highway, they cycled guys. It was like a rotating door where every week they were recalling and, and demoting guys. And you'd have almost everyone that, that played for Belleville that was a relevant prospect had some time in the NHL last season, being it just a cup of coffee or a number of cup of coffees or a stretch of games. Uh, I think they did a very good job of managing their players, their ice time, keeping them all engaged in the system. You know, anyone could have felt like at any time, it's a little hot streak in the AHL and you could be recalled. So they, they're not rushing or forcing players onto the roster. They have a lot of options, so they don't need to do that. They don't need to bring up kids before they're really ready to fill a hole out of necessity because they have so many prospects. So I, I really don't, and they're not going to win anything this year. So why not let him play another season in Europe somewhere and um, and get in a lot of quality minutes at a pro league over in Europe somewhere. And then when you have hopefully a full season in the 21-22 season with all this nonsense behind us, then really give him an honest audition at training camp and say, look, we want you to play on the on the first line. It's the first liner or go back to Europe. 
you're you're talking rationally here, Pete, and I'm just I'm not prepared to apply rationality to the Ottawa Senators as much (laughs) as you've as much as you've made the case for what they've been doing with their AHL club. I'm just I'm not prepared to do that. Yeah, I mean, at some point you have to change your organizational mentality to we're rebuilding, we're prepared to have some pain, some hard times. At some point you need to flip the switch and say, okay, that's, that was enough of that nonsense. Now we want to win every single game we play. We expect to win every single game we play and we're going to play all our best players and make sure that we ice the best roster we can at the NHL level and everything else is secondary. So that might happen with Ottawa as soon as this year, they might be pretty high and mighty and confident feeling good about themselves with all of their super prospects and the praise that everyone's giving them. But I think they should exercise patience for one more year. Yeah, that would be rational. Yeah, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Hey, at this time next year, Tibbs Dusla could have the Calder Trophy. And we'd be like, how could you not have put him in your top 10? He was the third overall pick. Maybe. Yeah, um, I'm, not, I'm not prepared to go there. Me not at 18 to 1. Right. Would, would much rather make fake bets on farther long shots that don't even have odds on them. Uh, another guy who he made my short list of guys who didn't have odds on them was Trevor Zegras. I think that I think that it's uh, unlikely that he would be in the mix for this award. But if everything hit right and Anaheim was a little bit better than we all think that they are, and he gets those prime minutes and his tendency to take bad penalties is curbed a little bit or they're willing to live with that and you just get to see the magic that he can put on and Ricard Raquel has a bounce back playing alongside him you could see the dynamic playmaker throwing up a ton of points but maybe he's a better candidate for the following season's rookie of the year assuming that's when he breaks in. Yeah, I struggled with with him as well because it's kind of an all or nothing with him, right? Like he ended up, he did crack my top 10. Um, Anaheim doesn't have a log jam of prospects and centers that Los Angeles does. So his competition isn't so much prospects, it's NHL players now. You've got Getzlaff, Henrik and Steele, who are all options for the first two line centers. So can Trevor Zegras outplay one of those players and, and push them either down the roster, force a trade, or out of position, or is it more likely that Trevor Zegras comes in to the NHL on the wing? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case to start his career. But his competition is, is certainly, I think, a little bit easier. Sonny Milano, Max Jones, Max Comtois, Denton Heinen, David Backus. Like, it's possible that he could usurp one of those guys in a top six role if you consider them top six forwards yeah I don't, def- so right so there you go <laughs> so uh, the the window isn't wide open for him he doesn't have a spot to lose but there are spots there for him that i that i could see him taking and you know he's just a supremely talented playmaker um and i think he's got the skill to be to produce enough points to win the Calder Trophy, it's just a question of will it be this year or, or next that he really, or does he just you know play twenty eight games, blow his Calder eligibility, and have like you know five points or whatever, 
and then explode next year, but but not be eligible for the trophy. That's probably where it's going to go, but we'll see. Yeah, and Anaheim has kind of ruined the Calder potential of a lot of their young forwards, just in terms of allowing them to, to win roster spots and not having significant enough competition to where these guys are coming in, but they're not having a huge impact. So you end up with guys playing like 37 games and not really doing that much. And if they did that with Zegris, we would probably not be seeing him make much of an impact. And you could definitely see that being the case. Oh, we'll, we'll give him a few games, especially if there's not much of an AHL season going on. So you're like, well, we'll just have him riding on the roster, extended roster, whatever it is. And he only plays every second game and he's not making a huge impact for you. You could play him on the fourth line and he's producing a high level of offense in the minutes that he's getting, but he's just not getting enough minutes. Yeah. That'll, that'll be his challenge is to not necessarily make the roster, but to, to make it a, with significant minutes. Mm-hmm. And he's the type of guy who you could see a coach, getting frustrated with some of the penalties that I mentioned before and that turns into now you're buried on the fourth line or you're buried for the fourth period or now you're going to sit in the press box for two games but this is also a player who has as much offensive upside as anyone we've named today and that includes Byfield Lafreniere right and the the Ducks are going to have a, a lot of young players on their roster and some of them have a lot more seasoning than he does. So they will be a little bit more uh, coach friendly or, or dependable, right? Like Troy, Troy Terry, Sam Steele, Jones, Comtois. Those guys are all not veterans, but I think established NHL players now. So um, how many young guys can you go with? Yeah. Going with too many young guys is a recipe for disaster unless they're special. Right. We talked about the the Austin Matthews season where he breaks in with Mitch Marner and William Nylander all at the same time. But then how many Oilers seasons could we talk about where they broke guys in way too soon and frankly ruined not only Calder potential for their players, but potentially even ruined careers for guys by rushing them along too soon. Indeed. Have we peeled back every layer of the onion here, Pete, on this Calder Trophy class, or is there anything else kind of lingering out there? I know there's some names, but at this point, we'd be looking at pretty far long shots. Uh, yeah, I mean, I still have a lot of players who I think, but like some of the other guys we've mentioned, they're either they're older players who have limited career upside, but could have a good first season, or they're guys that have a lot of career upside, but their certainty to make the roster right away is is in question. Um, you know, guys like Dylan Cousins, if he makes it, could be great. Uh, Morgan Frost, Josh Norris, Patrick Poulin. And then you've got other guys who are, you know, like Brogan Rafferty. He could make it. And he's already 25 years old. He had a great AHL season. He could be a really good support behind uh, Quinn Hughes for the Canucks offense from the blue line. And he could put up a, a decent amount of points, but... Uh, don't know if he'd ever put up enough points under even a perfect storm scenario, uh, unless Quinn Hughes got injured for the season, um, where he would warrant Calder consideration. Uh, but yeah, there's a long list of players, but in terms of storylines, I think right now we're trying to predict them at this point. 
would be pretty uh pretty difficult. You mentioned that you only had the two goaltenders on your list. Is there some long shot dart throw of a goaltender that you think could randomly pop up here? Like who's who's going to be the starting goaltender for the Chicago Blackhawks? And could it be some some freak name that no one saw coming and suddenly they're a playoff team that no one's predicting and he's hoisting this Calder Trophy and we're like, oh, why? Well, even if a, of a even if a prospect or a youngster like Kevin Lankinen took over and, and started playing really well and usurped Colin Delia or Malcolm Subban, which wouldn't wouldn't take a miracle. Um, Chicago, I think, is just going to be so bad that it'd be difficult for him to put up any sort of stats that would justify winning the Calder Trophy. I mean, you'd have to be all of a sudden like Ken Dryden or Dominic Hasek good to make a bad team like Chicago win enough games to, to warrant winning the Calder. He could get a lot of, if he played for a good team, he would have maybe won the award kind of conversations. Um, but I don't, I don't know him well enough to think that that's a possibility. Um, one, one dark horse goalie that I could throw out you would be Alexi Melnichuk. Mm, San Jose Sharks. Yeah. I, I don't think San Jose is going to be as bad as Chicago. Um, some, some things could break well for them there, uh, especially if Eric Carlson is is healthy. Um, and his competition in goal is is shaky. So, you know, he's an unknown coming from, from the KHL, doesn't have a lot of um, scouting reports on him. I, I've never seen him play. But uh, I like what I've read, and his stat lines look good, and, and he's, you know, he's got a good opportunity there. Are you um, telling me that you don't have confidence in a Martin Jones, Devin Dubnik tandem in goal? That's what I'm saying. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Who, who would have thunk it? Uh, well, there you go. <laughs> okay. We're, uh, we're, we're scratching the bottom of the barrel when we start talking about San Jose Sharks goaltender. So that's our cue to end this. Pete, this was a, a fantastic breakdown of the Calder Trophy for the coming 2021 season, whenever that happens to appear. We can read your article in the next McKean's Magazine. Is that uh, what I'm gathering? Yeah, that's right. It'll be in their their yearbook that's coming up soon. Oh, that's fantastic. We'll take a a look out for that. And otherwise, anything else to plug? Uh, I'm trying to coordinate schedules with uh, Dauber Prospects editor Pat Quinn to do a, a similar to this episode where we talk about rookies and sleepers for the upcoming season. I think a lot of uh, a lot of fantasy leagues might be starting to look at their fantasy drafts coming up soon. So it's about that time of year, a little off season from what we're used to, but hopefully the NHL season is is around the corner and uh, we can start doing some some fantasy mock drafts and stuff like that and get your get your picks ready you know absolutely yeah pat quinn good guest and i gotta say there's snow on the ground i need uh, i need hockey on my tv all right that's it for this episode of the steve laidlaw podcast thanks so much for coming on pete we'll uh make sure that we check out your world junior episodes on the dauber prospects radio feed as well as check out your Calder candidates in the McKean's yearbook. Thanks, pal.
Alrighty, what a fantastic episode. If you like what you listen to, please like, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcasts, and we will catch you on the next episode.